You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. We are so delighted to have with us a special guest this morning. Uh, Four years ago, in the fall of 2017, we began offering the School of Kingdom ministry here at Vineyard Church, a year-long equipping program that a number of our folks have gone through. It's greatly blessed our church, uh, and we are privileged today to have the founder of School of Kingdom ministry with us, Putty Putman. And Putty is from uh, Vineyard Church of Central Illinois, a wonderful ministry um, founded by Happy and Diane Lehman, a wonderful Hallmark Church in the Vineyard, and they are, they're just a wonderful resource, and uh, Putty and School of Kingdom Ministry is certainly uh, a reflection of that. Our church has been blessed in so many ways through School of Kingdom Ministry, and this weekend, our youth, not only from our church, but across our region, have been able to be blessed through his ministry, and I'm so thrilled that this morning, uh, we get to hear him, but not only just this morning, we're going to be offering another session open to, to everyone, youth and adults, this afternoon from 3 to 5 o'clock right here in the worship center. And we would love for you to come back. It's going to be a very, very much a hands-on training clinic equipping time, and it's going to be great. So if you haven't signed up already, you can come and be a part of it. I think our child care is full for that, but uh, if you would like to come and be a part of it, we're going to begin it at 3 o'clock right here in the worship center from 3 to 5. But right now, I want to uh, have you, Vineyard Church of Augusta, please join me in welcoming here in the worship center and in the cafe and online, Putty Putman. <laughs> oh, thank you, my friend. Bless you. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to be here. I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed the time. This is like such an impressive table here. I kind of can't get over this. Um, it's been it's been wonderful to be here. Thank you both just for the invitation for your hospitality. Um, We had a a tremendous time this weekend uh, with the youth and with Encounter. There was a lot of Encounter that happened. And um, just kind of an interesting thing here that maybe not everybody is entirely tracking with. We talked about it a lot this weekend. Um, Jesus' disciples in the Bible, like if you see like the painting, like, you know, the Last Supper, uh, Da Vinci and all that, like Jesus' disciples are always portrayed as like these like 50-year-old guys or whatever. There's like beards and all that. Well, most scholars believe that Jesus' disciples are between 14 and 19 years old. And so, you know, this thing that sometimes we can have where it's like we, we can see our, our, the, the students as sort of like half Christians until they become legal adults. I mean, we don't say that, but sometimes we a little bit feel that way, if we're honest. Like, they're the ones that were multiplying the food. They're the ones that were walking on water. They're the ones that went out and raised the dead. And so I love, love, love that Jesus is a radical mobilizer of all ages, including our students. And we saw some cool stuff. So if you know some students who got impacted this weekend, just encourage them, just cheer them on, keep them, keep them going forward, and that'll be good. Today I want to talk about something that is kind of foundational, kind of core to this whole Christian thing. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, you know, if you've been in, in the vineyard for some time, I'm sure you've heard not one, but like a hundred messages on the kingdom of God. So you might be kind of thinking like, we're going to talk about that again. Like, are you serious? And I think it's really important to talk about the foundational things in challenging times like the time that we're in. 
You know, sometimes we can, we can have a, a really unique time, a really unique experience or circumstance, something bizarre. Usually, usually we have, don't experience something quite as bizarre as this season. But when we hit these unique times and we try and figure out how to navigate them, sometimes we can think, oh, because the time is unique, I need something unique to get through it. In, in Christianity, like our journey, our journey of faith is actually not a journey of gathering more different things. It's a journey of growing deeper and deeper into the same things. So, so if we need more in this season, the answer isn't actually to get something different. The answer is to get something more out of the core things that we sort of already have, if that makes sense. And so I want to talk about one of those core things this morning. I want to talk about the kingdom of God. And I want to, want to unpack that. We're going, to, we're going to talk about it today and then, or this morning. And then if you want to come back and hang out this afternoon, we're going to do a lot of it. We're going to make this afternoon very practical. But this morning is kind of some of the, the foundation and stuff. Now, this, this idea of the kingdom of God is something that Jesus talks about endlessly in the Gospels. If you read uh, the Gospels and you look at what Jesus says and you look at the conversations he has that we have recorded, you look at the ministry he does, Jesus seems borderline obsessed with this idea of the kingdom. He talks about it nonstop. He te- it's like the only thing he teaches about. It's like what all his parables are about. He's always arguing with the Pharisees about it. He's always encouraging the disciples to go after it. He's always proclaiming it and demonstrating it. Like, you know, like he has a conversation with Pilate and he brings it up. Like, I mean, (laughs) Jesus is like all about this kingdom thing. And I think it's important for us to be aware of that because if we want to call ourselves followers of Jesus, which I assume we do, if we're in a church on Sunday morning, you know, you could be sleeping in instead. Um, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we want to be following him, then that means the thing that he made his life orbit around needs to be the thing we make our life orbit around. Otherwise, we're not following his lead. We're not following his example. And so this kingdom of God thing is just a really, really important thing to get right. Now, in, um, in Mark 1, we see Jesus uh, teaching what is his message consistently throughout the Gospels. And in Mark, Mark is the first Gospel that was recorded, so far as we we can tell, so far as the scholars tell us. And Mark 1 contains the first words that are red-letter words recorded in the Gospel of Mark. So these are are the first recorded words we have rolling out of Jesus' mouth, right here. And this is Mark uh, 1, 14, and 15. Now, after John was arrested, it's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, this is something we see Jesus saying all over the place. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And it's one of those things where, I don't know if you do this, like I do this. Like when I read something the first time through the Bible that seems like 
weird or I don't know, like, know what it means. Like I kind of like wrestle with it a little bit and I usually don't get very far. <laughs> and so then I'm like, oh, maybe I'll figure it out next time. And the next time I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, I read that before and I don't really know what it means. And I just sort of like gloss over it. And then before I know it, it can be just like Bible speak, you know? It's like you read right past it. You're not even really thinking about it. Kingdom of God's hand, whatever that means. I'm just, I'm just cruising, right? But this is one of those things that we can't afford to let become Bible speak that we read over quickly because, as I said, it's Jesus' core message. So what does this mean? What is this bizarre thing which, which the Mark says is Jesus proclaiming the gospel? Pretty important. <laughs> what is it? Well, the idea of kingdom is one of those things that when I hear the phrase kingdom of God as an English speaker, born in the West, used to the American use of vocabulary. When I hear the phrase kingdom of God, what first comes to mind for me is a location. What comes to mind is the idea of a nation, because I think of kingdom as synonymous with a nation that has a monarchy. What, the concrete example that comes to mind is the United Kingdom, right? We've got, we've got the queen who, like, bless her, has been queen for, like, ever. And she, like, you know, has, has this kingdom that goes all over the, all over the world, this whole thing. And, right, anybody else watch The Crown, by the way? That's a, that, is a, that is a heavy, dramatic, but fascinating show. Um, anyway, we digress. So I think when I hear the kingdom of God is at hand, that's what loads into my mind. I'm thinking of the crown. I'm thinking of the idea of a geographical area. And, and because of that, it's easy for me to sort of hear Jesus saying, God's about to start a country. And he's inviting me to join that country. And if that's the conclusion that I come to, then, you know, the, the next obvious question is, well, like, what is that country? And the answer might be one of two things. I'll probably come to the conclusion, it's either heaven, Jesus is inviting me to go to heaven when I die, or maybe it's the church. Jesus is inviting me to church on Sunday morning. And heaven is great, and the church is great. I'm not trying to disparage either of those. Those are both amazing things. But that's not what Jesus is trying to say by that language, and that's not what's getting heard in the first century when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. See, in the ancient world, the way that they used this word kingdom wasn't geographical. It wasn't referring to a place, a nation. It was actually pointing to an action or an activity. The word kingdom in the ancient world pointed at a verb, not at a noun. It pointed at something happening. And so when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's talking about an action, an event happening. He's not talking about a place that we could go. What action is that? What event might it be that's happening? Well, one of the clearest places we can see it is in Matthew 6, where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He, you know, there's this, this introduction, uh, Matthew 6, uh, verse 9, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then verse 10 is a parallelism where Jesus says something that helps us understand this kingdom idea. He says this, your kingdom come, that's the first part of the parallelism, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second part of the parallelism. What Jesus is saying, he's saying the same thing kind of two ways here. He's saying the kingdom coming is synonymous with God's will happening. I, I like to think of it this way. It's one of these things where, you know, sometimes the language we have in, in English is, is difficult and uh, it doesn't like translate well in our minds. So when I hit those roadblocks, I like to just make up words, right? Why not? Like we can do that, right? So the kingdom of God is about when God is Godding, okay? The kingdom of God is when God is Godding, when God is acting like God, when his kingship is in action. That's the kingdom of God. If you like languages, here's a little etymological thing. The, the, the suffix dash D-O-M on words, we usually think of it as um, dealing again with the idea of geographical extent. It can, in English, also refer to an activity. Martyrdom would be a good example. Martyrdom is the act of someone being martyred. And in the same way, in 1611, when they translated this, Originally, kingdom meant the act of being the king. It meant kinging. And so when Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand, he's actually talking about God being active, God being involved, God godding. And in fact, he goes one step further than this. He says, not only you know, is the kingdom exists, but the kingdom is at hand. Now, again, that's one of those things. At hand, you know, maybe we use that once upon a time in English. We don't really use that so much anymore. What does it mean? Well, it's not like a super complicated the idea. Basically, right now my Bible is at hand, and right now it's not. At hand means it's within grasping distance. In other words, it's personal. It's proximate, it's close. And what Jesus is saying is a radical message. And it's a radical message that confronted the mindset of the day in ancient Israel and it truthfully confronts our mindset, I would suggest, just as powerfully in our day. Because what the Jews felt and thought is the same thing that we have the temptation to feel and think. That God exists and he's God but he's detached, he's far away, he's uninvolved, he's up there somewhere tending to his God business, the cosmic CEO, and at best, if he's tuned into our lives, he's sort of channel surfing his way through them. Well, let's see what's on Putty today. Ah, oh, I heard that message before. Let's flip over, (laughs) you know? Let's check out them. Oh, Gabriel, you see him do that? Ah, he'll never learn. Next. We, we, we can picture God as if he's touching our life at all, it's not a significant, certainly not a personal thing. And what Jesus says is he says, guys, we have to ditch that idea. Repent. Lose that idea because I've got good news for you. God's activity is not detached. God's activity is close. It's personal. It's proximate. And so he's speaking to a culture and bringing a message that is challenging. Because once you say that, 
you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is. Like, if Christianity is philosophy, then it's safe to just put anything you want out there. Right? We say, oh, God exists up in heaven. We can't really know him, so why not like this? And it's all safe, because we're all in the idea, in the realm of ideas. There's no real proving or disproving. But once you say, hey, by the way, God's about to start Godding in your life right now. If nothing happens, then we should probably dismiss you. Because when God gods, like, stuff changes. That's the whole point, right? Like, when God is godding, stuff happens in our lives. And so this is why we see over and over and over again in the Gospels that Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom introduces God's activity which then comes as the, as the fulfillment of what Jesus is saying. This is why over and over and over again we see coupled, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God and healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, cast out demons. Why? Because if God's about to start godding, that godding is supposed to look like something. What does it look like? He starts godding in a broken body, and we call that healing. He starts godding with someone who's being afflicted by a spirit, and we call that deliverance. He starts godding with someone who's dead, and we call that resurrection. And so this idea of the proclamation of the message, that God's activity is real and close and personal, the signs and wonders thing, it's not that it's like proof, like, ha, I told you, see, it was right. It's not proof of the message, it's the message in action. It's the message happening. And so yes, it does validate, but not in the way that we kind of tend to think of it. And so when Jesus comes and he proclaims this message, the kingdom of God is at hand, this is the thing he is obsessed with. Now, that's a pretty cool message, and it probably could be a challenging message for us just the message in and of itself. But then, you know, Jesus likes to up the ante. He likes to push things further and further and further. I have a feeling that if Jesus was here, like, we would all be uncomfortable. He would be comfortable. He'd be having fun. We'd all be like, what's he gonna do? <laughs> he was, he was gonna shake things up a little bit. And so, and so Jesus, he does that when he takes this kingdom thing And he says, you know what? It's not enough for just me to be about this kingdom thing. I want to invite you guys into this kingdom thing. And so we see that. He does that repeatedly. One of the clear examples is in Matthew 10. We won't turn there and read it for time's sake. But he gathers his 12 disciples. He says, guys, I want you to go out. Go to all the places in Israel. Go proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. Matthew was Jewish, so he wrote heaven instead of God because you weren't supposed to say God's name in Jewish. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Get out of here, guys. Go have fun. And he sends them out, and they all come back, and they go, oh, my goodness, it worked. The demons submitted to us, and your name is unbelievable. And so Jesus takes his disciples, he invites them into the same thing, and he says, guys, I want you to carry the same message, the same idea that I carried. 
And this word that we saw in, um, in uh, Mark there, it's the same word that pops up in Matthew. It's an important word. The word proclaim. Now again, I want to just dive into this a little bit because the idea of proclaiming is one of those things that meant a lot in that language and doesn't mean a lot in our language. When I think of what it might look like to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what I usually envision is I envision being like, the kingdom of God is here. In other words, like proclaiming it is saying it loud, <laughs> right? Like it's yelling it at someone or something, right? That's not, that's not the idea that's being conveyed by this word in the gospel, okay, in the gospels. The idea of proclaiming is connected to the way things worked in the ancient world. Now, in the ancient world, there were nations that kings ruled over. The kings had a kingdom, meaning authority and power, that they used to rule their nation. That's the biblical way those, those words work. And in a world pre all the fancy technology we have these days, the way a king's kingdom, rule and authority, would roll out to their nation was kind of a logistical challenge. So imagine this, imagine I'm the king and I happen to have jurisdiction over Georgia. I just annexed it. It's now the nation of Putty, okay? And I might want to exercise my kingdom over the nation that I have rule over, and that might look like, for example, making a law. When I make a law, I'm using my kingly authority. I'm kinging, right? So if I want a king over the nation of Georgia, then what I might do is I might say, okay, guys, get ready. The kingdom of putty is at hand. Here it comes. I hereby declare that in putty's nation, Georgia, on Sunday mornings, you must wear black polka dot shirts. And if you don't, there's going to be a penalty. There's a fine. It's paid payable to Vineyard Augusta. <laughs> no, okay. Like, if, if, if I decide I want to exercise my kingdom, okay, now let's think about this logistically. For all of you guys, if I say, here's my kingdom, on Sunday mornings, black polka dots, that's how it works, right? You guys, you're all tracking. You're all, okay, I get it. I, I'm, I'm with it. I can, I can do that. We're good. But what happens in Atlanta? How do they know what I just said to, to be the new law here? How does the kingdom of putty get exercised in Atlanta? Well, the way it would work is there would be a bunch of heralds that would gather in the king's court. So let's suppose this is the king's court. You guys are all drafted to be heralds. And I would say, guys, the kingdom of putty is about to come forth. It's at hand. Get ready. And you guys would all go, oh, okay, okay. And you'd get out your little like papyrus scrolls or whatever. And I would declare my kingdom. Sunday mornings equals black polka dots. And you guys would all write it down on your scrolls and you'd get it perfectly, word for word, exactly what I said. The kingdom of Putty. Putty's authority, his kinging. And you'd roll it up and you'd put it in your pocket and you guys would disperse and you would go to every city center in the nation. And when you got to the city center, 
You'd get to the middle, and you'd stand up, and you'd unroll the scroll, and you would proclaim the kingdom of putty by reading what was written on the scroll. And when the herald proclaimed the kingdom of putty, that rule became a law in that city. See, the idea of proclaiming doesn't just carry the idea of like saying something loudly. Maybe they did say it loudly. I don't know. But the idea that's happening here is what Jesus is saying is he's saying there's a new reality that begins to be enforced when we proclaim the rule of God. And so when Jesus, excuse me, in Matthew 10 is sending his disciples out, saying, go to the cities in Israel and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's like grabbing a super-loaded metaphor that they all would have understood. See, the idea is this. The idea is that a little while back, the father took the first herald, Jesus Christ, and said, go proclaim my kingdom in the land of Israel. And so the first herald shows up and goes throughout Israel proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. Hey everybody, God's about to start godding. It's getting close, he's here. And as the herald Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, a new reality is created where God's rule now begins to be enacted in people's lives in that very time, in that very place. And what Jesus does then is he says, okay, I'm the first herald. Now I'm going to draft you guys to be heralds to come after me. And so he grabs the 12 disciples and he sends them out. And they come back and they go, oh my goodness, it's real. And he grabs 72 and he sends them out. And they come back and they go, wow, it's totally happening. And he goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning. This is really cool, right? And then what he does is he does something radical. And he opens up the whole world with his death and his resurrection. See, there's a crazy thing that's happening here. The kingdom of God is about the end of time. In the, in the ancient world, this was another piece that the Jews in particular would have understood. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. The, the ancient Jews, they were a lot like most Christians in the sense that they're like, the world is really bad and I'm just waiting for, for God to come and fix it. We call it the second coming of Jesus. They didn't call it that. They called it like, the apocalypse or something, right? But they were like, the world's messed up. I can't wait for God to come fix it. This is a mess. And what they, they knew would happen at the end of time is that God would start godding and fix everything. And so when Jesus starts saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, all the Jews are hearing eternity, the end of time is right around the corner. This is gonna be crazy. This is going to be amazing. And indeed, that's what happens with Jesus, is he comes from eternity, and he steps into our timeline. And so what Jesus lives and what Jesus does is he, he lives as the end of the world right in the middle of the human timeline. 
And everything that he's doing is introducing the end of the world into our present world. And then he dies unexpectedly, right? All the disciples are like, what? Are you serious? Are you kidding me? This was just getting amazing. We were going to like kick Rome out. <laughs> we were going to take over, you know, back to the glory days of Israel. It's going to be fantastic. And Jesus dies and nobody sees it coming, even though he told them like eight times, right? <laughs> but they're just, they're not dragging, you know? So, so Jesus dies. What's that about? Well, the cross is the apocalypse. The cross is the end of the entire world wrapped up in an event. And what Jesus does for us is he says, guys, you get to be joined with me and go through death into resurrection past the end of the world. You get to step into eternity today. So you enter into faith with me and we'll become one and I will get crucified and resurrected and I'll pass the end of the world and you get to skip over that part and just step into eternity today. That's a crazy thought. You and I are actually already who we're going to be in eternity. Now, I'm not saying we don't change clothes. We do, right? And I'm assuming that comes with a, like, calories don't count for anything thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Like, we change clothes, but the person that we are on the inside, the being that we are, passes through death, is resurrected into new life, and is who you will be for all eternity already. This is what the Bible means when it talks about being like born again, becoming a new creation. This is language that helps us understand we're now eternity people here a little early. And what this whole church thing is about is God has made all of us to be people from eternity who showed up earlier, who get to release this kingdom thing that now we belong to like Jesus belonged to. See, Jesus came from eternity where he got the assignment from the Father in the throne room. Go and proclaim my kingdom is at hand. And as you do that, you're going to see God start godding. And what Jesus does in his death and his resurrection is he moves our belonging from this world to that one. From this place to that one. He says, you, you now move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You now fit there. And Jesus says, and so therefore go now to all the nations and proclaim the kingdom of God as at hand to all creation. He stretches the assignment, and he sends out every single one of us. And so that means that you and I as the church, it means two things. First of all, we should expect to experience God-godding in our life personally. Now this confronts us, because let's be real. Sometimes I feel like maybe I don't deserve that. Sometimes I feel like, I wish I could see a little more of that. <laughs> Sometimes I feel, I feel whatever it is that I feel, but the message of Jesus Christ 
is that God is godding in the world and he wants to be godding in our lives. And so if that confronts you personally, like if you're like, uh, I don't know if I'm good enough for that. I'm sorry, but that's not your call. No offense. Like, I'm sure you're real impressed with how lame you are. But God's not. And that's an important thing to, to, like, sometimes we think that we can, like, change God's mind for what he said he's already going to do. Can I just tell you you're not big enough to do that? Doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. Doesn't matter whatever it is you're thinking of that you're like, but you don't know about, I don't need to know about it. Because if there was an exception, it would have said so in the Bible. So whatever exception's in your mind isn't big enough. God is a big fan of yours. And God thought, I think they're great enough that I think it's worth my son giving his life so that I can God in their lives. And so if we're like, well, I don't think I'm worth it, then I've got the same words for you that Jesus says, then repent and believe. Because your thinking that you're not worth it doesn't undo what God already did for you. Like he paid in advance, right? We all come into this world with a statement of our value established on the front hand. God says, payable at the price of my son. Check. Before you're even born. So when we come into the world, we can say, well, I don't know if that should be my value. I don't know if that should be whatever. And, and meanwhile, it's like, it's already done. God already signed the check. Don't quibble about how much the check should be worth. Go cash it. Say, wow, that's what God thinks I'm worth? That is what God thinks you're worth, and God hasn't made a mistake yet. I doubt your value is his first one. I'm just, uh, hang on, I just feel the need to like hang in this moment here. One second. Because, uh, like, guys, I get it. Like, this COVID season is hard. We get a lot of messages, and there's a lot of tough stuff right now. And this is one of those things we have got to be established in. Like, you have a predetermined value. The Bible already tells you who you are. Our culture says you got to find it. Christianity says it's already been declared. You don't actually have to find it. What you have to do is dig into the value that's been given you. Right? You have to dig into the value that's been given you so that I have as much connection to this value. That connection is stronger than the voices of this world. Right? Because then when the voices of this world come in and they're like confronting that value, I can go, hold on, already settled. I don't have to fight them myself. That's what we sometimes do. You fight those voices yourself, you are going to get exhausted. You're going to get burned out. You don't have to fight the voices yourself. All you have to do is fall back on what's already been given you. There's already been a price paid. It's the price of Jesus Christ. That's your value. God sent his son and said, I'm getting a good deal. He didn't send his son and go, oh, oops, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> he doesn't have buyer's remorse over you.
He does not. He's not, he's, he, he, he did not make his first mistake on you. And so that's who God says your value is. And he's transplanted you to live in the place where that value, we can expect it to be actualized in our lives. Can I tell you something? Grace means life is not fair to us in a good way. If we're trying to do the life should be fair thing, then like we should go back to like Judaism or something. Life is not supposed to be fair to us. We have a heavenly father who's locked us in a covenant that's called, I like you. And so our lives ought to look like it's stupidly unfair how something seems to help your life all the time. It's stupidly unfair how the God of the universe is like, you're awesome. We're like, but, he's like, nope, <laughs> but, nope, but, nope, but, you're awesome. <laughs> totally awesome. I made a covenant of grace, favor, I like you. And God doesn't break his covenants. He's not into that business. And so our lives are not supposed to be fair. Sometimes there's problems that seep into our lives and we don't understand the reason the problem is there is because God wants to demonstrate how not fair he wants to be in your life. So the world around us looks at us and they go, how did you, that doesn't make any, and we just go, oh, let me introduce you to somebody. It turns out I have an unfair advantage, shh, but you can have it too. You know, it's like insider trading, except like, it's God. <laughs> That's our reality. We have God on the inside working for us. And if we'll welcome that, if we'll live in that, then we can experience the kingdom of God in our lives. Eternity breaking in. God's Goding in our personal at-hand sphere. So that's the first thing it means for us. But the second thing it means for us is this. We get to be part of God godding in the world around us too. So not only do we get to enjoy it for ourselves, which is awesome, right? And we see Jesus got to enjoy it for himself, right? He's got angels that show up and feed him when he's done fasting. I mean, that's a cool deal. He's like, yeah, I could walk around the lake, but I'm just gonna walk over it <laughs> a little shorter. <laughs> right? Like Jesus experienced God godding in his life but Jesus extended God-godding into the world around him, and that is our invitation too. You know, I, I grew up in the faith, and I received a wonderful foundation, but not one that was caught up in these kingdom things. I was raised Baptist. Do we have any other recovering Baptists in this room? Baptists unite, okay? Baptists are awesome. I, I'm not disparaging my Baptist foundation at all. I got awesome stuff there. I'm so happy with it. But what I did not get was a dose of this kingdom thing. And you know what happens when you try to live Christianity without the kingdom? Is it gets really boring. It's all about doing the right thing. It's all about being a good person. And somehow the bar gets lower and lower and lower. to it's like, you can be a good Christian example by being nice. <laughs> 
No, we should be nice, right? Gentleness, fruit of the Spirit. Absolutely, we should be nice, right? So, and sometimes that can really be a legit witness, right? But Jesus did not win the disciples because he was the nicest guy. The crowds didn't follow Jesus because he was super nice. The crowds followed Jesus because God was Godding through him. And we get to be called into that same place. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, tomorrow, many of us are going to go back to work or to school or perhaps we work at home. That's a more common thing. So your work is now your neighborhood instead of an office or whatever it is. We're going to engage in environments that are loaded with opportunities for God to God through us. And we are the ones sent to that mission field. We are the ones. We live with the unfair advantage. And so when the coworker goes, oh, I just had a terrible night's sleep last night, we can go, you know what? I just found out that God is still Godding. Can I pray for you right now? Or when your marriage is coming apart at the seams. The Bible says he who God joined together, let it not split apart. We can invite God to start Godding in our marriage. We can invite God to start Godding in our finances. Sometimes we just confine it to the things that look supernatural. We confine it to healing. Healing's great. I love healing. Confine it to deliverance. Deliverance is awesome. It's important. But God cares about every part of our lives. What if you need God to start Godding through your managerial role? What if we could invite him into that? You can. Turns out Jesus managed a world-changing team of 12 people after he fired one of them. <laughs> it was kind of a let him go severance package type situation, <laughs> right? Seriously, think about that. He managed actually 11 teenagers, turned them into world changers. It might be the kingdom of God has some really good things to say about management, God wants to God in your life. He wants to God through your life. That's the message of Jesus. And in this environment, this COVID moment, I can't help but think this. We are never probably going to have another opportunity in our lives to solidify that truth in our experience. Remember what I said about, like, we need a rooting that's stronger than the voices out here, and we'll be okay? We're probably never going to experience bigger voices from out here. We are in the middle of a global pandemic, in case you hadn't noticed for the last year. <laughs> I'm sure you did, right? I, here's how I see this. This is the best strength training we're ever going to get. Don't waste this moment and make your goal survival. Don't. That would be such a shame. You have the opportunity to come out of this stronger than you will ever have the chance to have for the rest of your life. So this is the moment to lean in and say, okay, God, make my conviction that you're Godding bigger than COVID. Because when COVID goes away, you keep the conviction. It upgrades you for the whole rest of your life. And how much easier is everything else then? 
situation rolls up, you're like, oh yeah, well, we've already worked out in the secret place that God's bigger than a global pandemic, so you know, this little problem, not a big deal. <laughs> this is the moment for that. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's get on board with that. So let's do this. I, w- I want to just take a moment and just kind of pray. Is that, that good? Cool? And then, like, can I just get one of the worship team to maybe, like, do keys or something? We don't need, like, a whole song, but just a bit of background music. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm looking at you, gal. Thank you. <laughs> let's do this. Just everybody stand here. This isn't going to be super, super long. I know we're, like, kind of approaching our typical conclusion time, and there's a difference between Sunday morning and a two-hour conference session. If you want a bigger dose, that's why you come back this afternoon. We're going to spend a lot of time doing it this afternoon. But for now, just, just go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and put your hands out right now. I just want to kind of pray over all of us and bless what God is doing right now. Jesus, I thank you that you came as the first herald to tell us that, God, you are Godding in lives. Your rule is at hand. You're close, you're proximal, you're personal, God. And right now, I know there are situations all across this room that aren't lined up with what you would have for our lives, God. And I ask, God, would your kingdom begin to crash in on the situations that are happening here? Lord, where there's relationships that have been strained and stressed, maybe even multiplied by this COVID thing. Lord, would you begin to break into those relationships with reconciliation and love, with forgiveness and gentleness? Lord, where there's finances that are a wreck, I thank you that you are the God of provision that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I ask you'd sell a few of them and your kingdom finances would begin to break into our bank accounts. Lord, where the, the, the stress and the strain of this season have begun to put a tax on our mind, Lord, we're beginning to, to feel worn down or burnt out or discouraged, and maybe even the enemies in there adding his torment on top. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin to break in to our minds, renew our minds, Holy Spirit, and give us the strength mentally to deal with this really crazy, weird season that's stretching all of us. God, where there are bodies that have worn down or have been injured or damaged in some way, and they're not lined up with the design that you have for us, the new body that's already waiting for us in eternity. I just ask right now, kingdom of God, would you break into our bodies? We release healing all across this room in Jesus' name. God, where where the enemy has worked to torment us, where he's wormed his way into our minds, we break his hold right now. We break the hold of the enemy and we say, no, these are God's children. Let your rule break in and set us free completely, God. Lord, I thank you that you see and you care about every part of our lives. 
where, where your kingdom needs to break in in our workplaces, God, where things have begun to break down. Culturally, it's become toxic. Lord, I ask that your kingdom would break in and would begin to establish the culture of heaven in our workplaces today. And Lord, in each and every one of our lives, wherever we live, whatever it is we do, whatever we're going to next, I ask God that your presence would rest upon us and that as we go, we would begin to see the places where you're not just Godding in our life, but you, there's an invitation for you to God through our life. And God, we just say, yes, we wanna be a part of that. We wanna join your cosmic adventure. God, you are taking your planet back and you are asking us to join in on the fun. We say yes. We ask for the eyes to see that, the ears to hear that, and the courage to obey that. God, you know it freaks us out, but I thank you. We have the comforter and the strengthener of the Holy Spirit. Give us your courage to obey whatever it looks like for each of us next week. I bless you guys as God's children. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.